So as we kick off the new year, um, man, there's, there's, I'm sure, the resolutions that you're thinking through. And what I've been thinking through, I, I'll confess, I really haven't set any resolutions this year at all. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out, like, what is that for me? What's that for our family? What are we focusing on? And I had this thought just kind of bouncing around my head over the last couple of weeks is, what if this next year is the same as last year? I know that might even sound depressing, but there could be some good things from that too. We look at a new year and we have a lot of new hopes and a lot of new dreams and a lot of new goals. We have all that new stuff. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But my problem, I think, rests in if all that new stuff doesn't happen, are we disappointed? Like all the changes that we might be hoping for personally in our lives, if none of those happen, what's our response to this next year? Oh, it's just a terrible year. Just write it off, throw it out. Oh, I got to wait for another new year before I try again. So I feel like sometimes we set ourselves up for failure with all this hope of all this new stuff. But if it doesn't work out the way that we want, what's our response for the rest of the year? Because it most certainly could. Like this next new year could be incredible for you and all the changes you hope for happen, all the, all the hopes that you're praying for happen. That most certainly could be the case. But the opposite is also true, <laughs> could be true. That all the things, all the new that you're hoping for, what if those don't work out? What will our response be? As we go through this series, we're gonna be studying through the book of Philippians. And throughout Philippians, there's, two main themes. One of them revolves around the idea of joy or rejoicing. In fact, you will see in just this, this short book, this short letter that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, you're going to see joy or rejoice 16 times in just four chapters. It's all over the place. The other theme that you're going to see is there's a lot of absolutes, always, never, certain, everything, everywhere, everyone. You're going to see a lot of those absolutes in regards to our joy. Here's what he says. This will kind of set up um, the rest of our time today and even this month as we go through this series. Paul writes this, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Whatever happens, there's an absolute, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it, look at this reason, to safeguard your faith, to safeguard your faith. So no matter what, whatever happens, regardless of what happens in your life this year, regardless of what happens the rest of your life, no matter what, what do we do? What's our response? To rejoice in the Lord. Now again, Paul's writing, like I said, to the early church of Philippi. He's actually writing this from prison. So for him to talk about whatever happens, still rejoice. He's writing that as he is sitting in prison himself because of telling people the good news about Jesus. So this idea of no matter what, we still choose joy. He's having to experience that in a very real way as he continues to encourage this church, but as he also encourages our church today. No matter what, we still can choose joy, or say it this way, that joy comes from knowing the grace of God in your own life. And the reason we say it that way is because of what Paul says. I never rejoice in the Lord, not in a certain situation, not in a specific circumstance. We rejoice in the Lord. In other words, that joy, again, comes from knowing the grace of God in your own personal life. That's what allows us to have joy no matter what, because I know the grace of God and I've experienced it and I've seen it and I know it's in my heart and I know it's in my life. That's where that joy comes from. 
No matter what, we can choose joy because our joy is in the Lord. So my hope for you this series for the next four weeks, I'd love for you to be able to say, you know what? Yes, it's a new year. And there's a lot of things that, that I think God might work on me personally for you and your family as well in our church. And I'd love for you to prayerfully consider what would it look like for me to say, I'm going to be here every single week through this series. Because next week, guess what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about chapter two and then chapter three and chapter four. So yes, you can do all of that on your own, but for us to do that collectively as a body of believers, man, will continue to grow us. And that's my hope, is that as we go through this series, two things would happen for you. Your faith would be grown, right? You take next steps in your walk with Jesus, but it would also guard your faith. Just like Paul says, I say this, I repeat these things. I don't get tired of telling you this again and again and again, so that it would safeguard your faith. When things don't go our way, it tends to hurt our faith. We allow it to hurt our faith or it stunts our growth. And I would love to say, no matter what, choose joy because our joy is in the Lord and let that guard your faith as well as grow your faith, no matter what. You got those stickers when you walked in today? Did you get your no matter what sticker? I've already lost mine. Oh, there it is. Did you get your no matter what sticker? So the reason you have a sticker is hopefully this will serve as a reminder. So you put it someplace where it'll be a good reminder. You'll constantly see it. Because just like Paul said, we have to be reminded of these things. Paul says, I don't get tired of reminding you of these. Because no matter what, our joy is in the Lord. Let's pray and we'll dive into chapter one. God, thanks so much for the joy that we can choose to have because our joy is found in you, not in life, not in situations, not in circumstances, not in relationships, not in our financial situation or our work status. Our joy is in you. Easier said than done. So Holy Spirit, you know our hearts. So would you work in us today? Would you speak to us today? Would you reveal to us how we can grow in our faith and also guard our faith? as we study your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this last Sunday, a week from today, we were traveling back. All of my wife and I's family are in like the Cincinnati, Ohio area, and then Madison, Indiana, that's Southern Indiana. So we went up right after Christmas, did the whole grandparent things, bounced around between houses, and we were on our way back. We're driving on 75 South, passing somewhere in Tennessee, and we see this big sign about something that is 90 miles ahead. And this 90 mile, this sign that was pointing us to something 90 miles ahead, I'm like, man, that's awfully far out to be like promoting a place. But the sign just said these words, if you know, you know. And I'm like, well, I don't know, but I kind of want to know. So in 90 miles, kids, we're going to go to this thing. Now, some of you are going to know what I'm talking about. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. If you know what I'm talking about, don't spoil it. So here's a picture. So we stopped, took this 90 miles when we first saw the sign. Here's where we stopped. Get an applause for that, of course, of course. All right, so hang on. So stick with me. Don't spoil it. Some of you that don't know, the people in here that don't know, I know who you are just by how you're looking at me right now. So just by raise of hands, don't verbalize it. How many of you know where we went? Oh, most of you, most of you. How many of you are like, what is happening? What have I missed? Anybody even willing to admit? All right, there's a few of you like... What have I missed? How have I? Yes, you totally feel like you've missed out on something, don't you? So I'll be honest. I had never heard of this place, ever. But we kept seeing these signs. Billboards actually work. So we're driving down 75, south on 75, and I'm like, if you know, you know. And I'm like, what? No, what? <laughs> and then you'd see it again, and you see it again. And now you're only 75 miles. I'm like, my goodness gracious. 
So we're finally like, okay, we are going to stop at this place. And we get off on the ramp and there's a line. I'm like, really? Apparently I'm not the only one that was curious about this place. So we pull over and then you see just these lights, this like Mecca of gas stations. And you pull off the road and you start pulling in and there's just so much traffic. I've never seen anything like it before. For those of you that know what I'm talking about, where'd we go? Bucky's. We went to Bucky's. For those of you that have no idea, here's the best way I can explain it to you. It's a gas station. <laughs> Literally, that is what it is. It is a gas station. It is a gas station unlike anything you've ever seen in your life, but it is a gas station. It's the biggest gas station you will probably ever see in your life, but it is still just a gas station. Now, for those of you that have been there before, I don't need to explain anything to you. You're just like, oh, I get it. When you know, you know. If you've never been there before, I can't explain it. Like all the things that I would try to explain, like the beef jerky bar, the, the cinnamon rolls that are the size of my face, the pulled pork that's actually made right there, smoked and everything right there. Like there's just no way to truly explain this gas station. What's fascinating, so we posted that picture just on my stories, right? And what was fascinating is I got more comments on that than anything else I think I've ever put out before. <laughs> Jesus loves you, I'll put the gospel on my social media and I push one picture of us at Bucky's and like people are like, oh, isn't it great? <laughs> like what's wrong with our world? <laughs> There's people messaging me that I've never heard of before. I'm like, who are you? Are we, do I know you? And as that got out, people would, oh, you went to Bucky's? And I'm like, who are you? There's this strange thing that happens when you get on the inside of something. There's an immediate connection. Even if you don't know the person, even if you've never met the person, even if you don't like the person, you have this one connection and that has glued you together. You're gonna see this happen a bunch tomorrow. People are gonna be wearing specific shirts with certain teams on it tomorrow. And you, I'm not gonna say anything, I don't wanna split a church. But you're going to walk around and you're going to have a shirt on and you're going to start talking to a stranger that just has the same shirt as you because you cheer for the same team. You have that commonality. You have that community. You have that connection. That's community. When you know, you know. If you don't know, I don't know what to tell you. You're going to have to experience for yourself. Community gives us a common unity. In many places, it actually gives you a language to use, right? It gives you a clear purpose, it gives you a connection and a togetherness because of that one unifying thing. Paul begins his letter, and I keep emphasizing the letter because he writes it like a letter, even with an introduction. And in his letters, we go through chapter one today, you're gonna see in his introduction, he's focusing on that community. Here's who we are. Here's who we belong to. Here's what our connection is. Here's what we're unified around. Here's our clear purpose. And as he walks through that, then he gives another side to it. And here's what life looks like when you're part of that community. So I want you to pay attention as we go through these. Yes, joy is an overarching theme, but specifically today, pay attention to the community that Paul is talking about, the connection he has with this group of believers, but then also how he encourages them on, so if you're part of this community, here's what your life looks like. If you're part of this community, here's how you live. Not because you have to to get in, but because of who you are and who you belong to. 
So if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter one, that's where we'll start. If you don't have a Bible, would love to make sure you start off this year with a Bible on your way out today where you saw the coffee. Uh, you can grab a Bible. That's our gift to you. I couldn't think of anything better to make sure you have uh, for the beginning of this year. Philippians chapter one, here's how he begins his letter. Chapter one, verse one. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to you, to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Verse three, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. Why? Verse five, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the first time you heard it until now. Do you hear that push towards community and connection and belonging? Let me pull out, point out just a, a couple things here. He mentions it for himself, we're gonna talk about it, and then he mentions it with the people. He says, Paul and Timothy, that's who's writing this, we are slaves of Christ Jesus, and then he's writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus. There's joy in the fact we recognize who we belong to. So no matter what, you're going to see a bunch of these no matter what's today, no matter what, have joy because you belong to Jesus. That's a no matter what. Doesn't matter the life situation, doesn't matter the good, the bad, you still belong to Jesus. Doesn't matter how bad 2021 was, how great or how terrible this next year will be, you still belong to Jesus and that's where we find our joy, no matter what. Let me point out a couple pieces of that belonging. He says here that Paul and Timothy, that we are slaves of Christ Jesus. Now in our context today, that word slaves immediately is like, whoa, I don't know how to feel about that. Has a lot of negative connotation and understandably and rightfully so. But the word that Paul is using here as he writes this out is this word here. Let me show you what it looked like in the actual Greek. That's the word that he would have written out. That word is very, very different than the word you and I usually think of when we say the, words, the word slave. That word is the Greek word doulos. And the word doulos literally means bond slave or bond servant. And it's used a bunch of, the time, a bunch of times throughout the New Testament, from Jesus all the way into the New Testament letters like Paul writing it. And that idea of I am doulos I am a bond servant, a bond slave. I willingly give up all of my rights. I do not own myself. I allow someone else to own me. That's what that means. And it's used throughout the New Testament to show the dedication, the loyalty, and the, the willingness to follow Jesus no matter what. So he says, we are doulos. Of who though? Who owns us? Well, Christ Jesus. When I was a student pastor before moving here, this was a word I just beat into our students over and over and over again. And here's why. We all give ourselves to someone or something. Always. The question is who or what? So if we're going to give ourselves to someone or something, Paul's making it very clear. I'm going to choose to give my life over to Jesus. In other words, my life is not my own. No matter what. I belong to Jesus and he has full rights on my life. That's what he's saying. And then he reiterates that, uses a different word, but still a very same context of belong to Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all the people who belong to Christ Jesus. We're belonging to who? To Jesus. And he has full rights on our lives. And that's where we find our joy. 
Now he says this other word that I think is fascinating. He doesn't just say, oh yeah, we belong to the same religion. It's not just, yes, Jesus is, is who we've given our life to. Then he goes in, he says, but you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ. We're like in this together. It's not just you belong to Jesus over here and I belong to Jesus over here. It's like, no, we're doing this together, the same community of Christ, but also the same cause of Christ to spread the good news. So yesterday I was coming out of a coffee meeting um, over at Because Coffee. And as I'm driving through, you know, you've got like the whole fitness place and the no longer bound and launch. Like it's, it takes a minute to get through that section, if you know what I'm talking about. And as I'm coming through this, this, this person in a car was trying to get out, but traffic kept going. So I was like, you know, I'm going to be a nice guy. I'm going to be a really nice guy. And so I stop and I do one of these, right? Let the person come over. And as this person in their car pulls out in front of me, you know what they had on the back window of their car? They had a local sticker. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I let them out. <laughs> because if I would have passed them, they would have seen the local sticker on my car. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So either way, you just never know. But as that person pulled out in front of me and they had the, star, the, the little sticker, the local decal on their car, I just had this moment of like, yeah, like we're together. Like, I, I don't know who you are. I don't know whose car that is. But I'm like, yeah, we go to the same church. And, and uh, like, it doesn't feel very rational in the moment, but we all sense that when you recognize a commonality with someone else. And it's like, doesn't matter if it's this goofy little sticker that you put in the back of your car, but we're part of something together. Some of you just need to hear this. You're not alone this next year. Like, seriously, like, do one of these little head swivels. Just look at the people around you today. We're partners in this. We're together in this. And that gives us great joy. You're not alone. We work together. We're in the same community because of Jesus, but we also have the same cause. We're in this together. So notice what he does next. Then he gives a, a great encouragement. So all this joy because of who we belong to. Verse six, if you've been around me the last few months, this is gonna sound very familiar. Verse six, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. We've been using that verse to help us stay focused on the fact that God's not done yet. Yes, and a lot of times when you hear me say that, that has a lot to do with our building campaign and raising money so we can expand this next year. All that's true, but the focus for this and for our morning today is not about a building campaign. It's about what God's doing in you, that he's not done in you. He's not done working through you. If you're still breathing, God's still working. There's a lot he still wants to do in you, which gives us joy. It's joy because God doesn't look at you and say, eh, good enough. Like, I don't know what else to do with you, so we'll just, you know what, let's just see average is good for you. Let's just leave it at that. No, he's gonna continue his work until it's finished, until it's complete. So no matter what, God will finish what he started. That's true for you in your personal life. I believe that's true in your marriage. I believe that's true in your family. I believe that's true with your kids. I most certainly believe that's true in our church life and our church family. What God begins, he's not going to stop until it's finished. Take joy in that, no matter how this next year goes. Take joy in knowing that God's not done yet, that he will continue to work in you, continue to work on you, and in your relationships, that God will not quit on you. Verse 7, he jumps back into the love of the community again, his, the people he belongs to Jesus with. Verse 7, so it is right that I should feel as I do about, all, about you. For you have shared a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God. That's something we call grace. 
you share this grace of God with me, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. That's what it's like. That's how we treat others. When you're in that community, when you know, you know, that's how we act around one another. That's how we treat one another. And it's based again, not on our, us agreeing on everything. It has everything to do with the grace of God that we share. That's what we're unified around. Verse nine, he gives this very sweet prayer. And parents, this is worth your time this morning. This is a prayer you should be praying over your kids. Verse nine, all the way for, through verse 11. It's a beautiful prayer that Paul prays over the church. And again, parents, make this your prayer over your kids. Listen to it and receive this and begin to pray this over your kids and we'll unpack it a little bit. Verse nine, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what matters most, what really matters, so that you may live a pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. That's what I want for my kids. <laughs> that their love would overflow more and more, that they would grow in their knowledge and understanding, that they will prioritize well and know what matters most, that they will live a life that's pure and blameless in the eyes of Christ, that they will constantly be filled with the fruit of righteousness or the fruit of our salvation. That's Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit, the things that are produced in us that God's gonna be working on. Why do we want those things to happen? All for this last part. All of this will bring much glory and praise to God. I want that for my kids. I want that for my family. I want that for our church family. I want that for you. Now notice as Paul's writing this and giving this prayer, he's building on it too. It's partial prayer and partial encouragement. Like I'm praying these things over you, but it's gonna take a little bit of work on your part too. So it begins with love, a love that constantly is growing and constantly overflowing. It's not like I got love, I'm good. No, it overflows and continues to overflow. And then there's this digging in and growing in your knowledge and your understanding. That's the truth of God's word. It's why we do what we do every single Sunday so that you can grow in your knowledge and your understanding of the truth of God's word. And when we begin to understand that, when we grow in the knowledge of that and it starts to take deep root in our heart, guess what happens? We begin to live differently. It's out of that knowledge and understanding of God's truth that now we do, we, oh, I'm starting to recognize what matters most. And our priorities begin to shift and begin to make choices that are pure and blameless in the eyes of Christ. And then all of a sudden we notice we start being more patient, not because we're trying to, but because God's working in us. We start to have more self-control because the Holy Spirit is growing that in us. We start to have more joy because our eyes are more open to the grace that God has given us. All that happens as we dig into his word. So, let me tell you, beginning of the year, here's why we do one of the things. We'll talk more about this at Open House, but let me at least give you this one. There's two things that we really double down on here at Local. Two things outside of like Sunday morning and all the normal things. Two things. Can't do everything, so we're going to choose these two. Bible studies and serving. Why? Because of what Paul's writing here. To grow in your knowledge and your understanding, you need to dig into God's word, please, more than 30 minutes than just with me on a Sunday. Dig into his word for yourself. That's why we push Bible studies. I'm gonna talk about that in a second. Help you get what you need so you can dive into God's word on your own. Grow in the knowledge and the understanding. Then we need a place for that to be lived out. So we serve. 
And that's not just serving on a Sunday at church. Man, that's serving in your kids' schools. That's serving at your workplace. That's serving with your neighbors. It's looking for a place for you to say, my life is not my own. Do loss. Bond slave, bond servant. God, how do you want to use me today? So we try to make it as easy as possible. The hard part is you walking this out. So what we try to do is we constantly ask you, what's your next step? And on here, you'll see a bunch of next steps, but to the last one, say Bible study and serving. Which one of those do you need to grow and then safeguard your faith with? I need to grow. I need to dig into God's word. I need to grow in my understanding or I need to live in how I'm, I need to grow in how I'm living my life. And if you want to start something new this year, pick one of those. Health, great, do that. How you spend your money, like all those things are great, but can it be rooted in those two things? Knowledge and understanding of the truth of God and living God's word out in your life. Bible studies and serving. If you want more information on them, we'd love to help. That's a huge reason why we're here. You mark it on the card, you drop them in the boxes, we talk with you. You don't just get a canned email. It's like, man, let's have a conversation. How can we help you in those two areas? Because I promise you, it will make a huge difference. So what's the no matter what with this one? No matter what, continue to grow in your faith and live out your faith. Grow in your faith. Grow in that knowledge and that understanding of God's word and his truth. And then live out your faith living a pure and blameless life with the fruit of the spirit that's obvious in your life. Here's the next part. Now Paul's gonna get super real, very personal. So far, this has been all about the people of Philippi. Prayers and joy and encouragement. Then he turns the spotlight back on himself and he says, so here's what I'm going through. Listen to this, verse 12. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything, there's another no matter what, another absolute, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Okay, now let that, that sentence just sink in for a second because he's gonna tell us what's happened. That everything that has happened to Paul has benefited, has helped with the cause of Christ, spreading of the good news of Jesus. So here's what happened, verse 13. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Let's recap. So Paul just said, everything that's happened here has been a good thing for the good news. It has helped pave the way. What has happened? He has been put in prison. So how can Paul have this perspective where he is basically saying, I'm so glad I got put in prison because that has actually helped spread the good news. Like, that's typically not what we would say. Here's what we see from Paul. No matter what, have an eternal perspective. No matter what, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstances, no matter the prison, no matter the struggles, no matter the trials, no matter the problems, no matter what, have an eternal perspective. That's what Paul is seeing. He's seeing an eternal perspective versus a temporary perspective. See, a temporary perspective for Paul, if he were to write this with a temporary perspective, he would have said, I can't believe I'm in prison again. I'm supposed to be preaching the good news. I'm supposed to be traveling to other, to other areas that don't know Jesus, and now I'm stuck. Please pray for me that I would get out of prison as soon as possible so that I can continue to get back to the work that I was called to do. That would have been a temporary perspective, that I'm stuck and God can't use the problem in the situation that I'm in. So I need you to fix it. I need God you to change this because if it doesn't change, I can't 
grow in my faith and live out my faith. That would be a temporary perspective. The eternal perspective, what he wrote is, guys, this is amazing. I got put in prison for telling people about Jesus. That was the best thing that could ever happen to me. Because now that I'm in prison, I have to be chained to a guard 24-7. So you know what they have to listen to while they're chained to me 24-7? They have to listen to me preach about Jesus. And they can't get away from me. It's not about me staying away. It's about them trying to stay away. But they can't go anywhere. And every time there's a shift change, somebody else comes in and they shackle a new guy to me. And guess what? I start all over again. And by the time the week is up, every single person knows that I love Jesus and they know the saving grace of Jesus. Every single person, every single guard, even the people in the entire palace know why I'm here. Thank God I'm in prison because it has helped pave the way for the good news of Jesus. You see the differences there? The situations are the same. He's in prison, period. But how are you looking at that situation? No matter what, have an eternal perspective. If you want, this might be helpful. I know that's like, man, that's great for Paul, but I don't know if I could do that. Let me try to help you with that. Let me put a few questions on the screen for you. Might be worth taking a quick picture of. We'll post these a little bit later. This is something that might help you have a little bit more eternal perspective, or at least help you shift from the temporary to the eternal. When you go through a situation, hopefully it's not as drastic as Paul, but whatever the bad situation is, ask yourself, well, who does this put me around? For Paul, it put him around a new group of people that needed Jesus. That's a positive. How can my response point to Jesus? Well, how we react and how we respond either points people to Jesus or it doesn't. It's a yes or no. So it helps you think through, how am I going to respond and react in this situation? This last one's crucial. What story will I be able to tell later? This last part, what Paul says, he says, and because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Because of his story, what story will you be able to tell of your hardship, of your difficulty that will inspire somebody else, that will help somebody else, that will encourage somebody else, that will move somebody to grow in their faith and to live out their faith? What story will you be able to tell later? So no matter what, have an eternal perspective. Paul basically sums up chapter one, which is again, kind of like an introduction to what he's going to talk about the next three chapters. And he ends, close to ends with verse 27. I'm just going to read the first part of it. So above all, out of all these things that he's talked about, this community and how we live life within this community because we belong to Jesus, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. I believe Paul was very intentional when he used the word citizens there because he had visited Philippi years before. We're actually going to look at that here in just a second. When he visited Philippi, there's things that he learned about the region. They were technically Roman citizens under the Roman Empire, which meant they were technically Roman citizens. And specifically with the people of Philippi, they were proud of that fact. They were proud that they could say, we are citizens of Rome and we live as citizens of Rome. And when he brought the gospel into Philippi, it contradicted what a citizen of Rome did. So he's reminding the citizens of Philippi, the citizens of Rome, who you really are, whose you really are, who do you really belong to? You belong to Jesus, doulos of Christ Jesus. You have given your life to him, so act accordingly. 
live according to the grace that you have received from God through Jesus. Live differently because you belong to Jesus, not to a country, not to a government, not to anything or anyone else. You've given your life to Jesus. So yes, our lives look differently. In Acts chapter 16, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts 16, we get the story of Paul actually moving or going into the region of Philippi so that he could tell people about Jesus. There wasn't a church there yet, so he goes to begin to tell people. And with Paul using the word citizens, I wanted to kind of, we don't usually get to do this as we read through different uh, letters of Paul, but I want us to be able to see and kind of hear just a little bit of who those citizens were in Philippi. Who were those Philippians, who were those people that have a name and even have a face and have a story before the church ever started? Because I think that's who Paul's writing to. A lot more than just these few. But we're going to actually see a few people that Paul actually met. Acts chapter 16, we're told that account where Paul, again, goes as a missionary into Philippi. The first person that he meets, he has a companion with him named Silas. The first person that they meet is a lady named Lydia. Lydia was a successful businesswoman. She sold expensive purple cloth, and she seems to have a desire to know God, but didn't seem to know where to start. Scripture tells us in Acts 16 that when Paul began to preach the good news of Jesus, that the Lord opened up the heart of Lydia, and she didn't just receive what he said, she believed it. We're told that her and her entire family were baptized because of Paul's words and explaining the good news of Jesus to her. So we've got one, Paul's first person in Philippi that decided to follow Jesus with all of her heart. Then we're introduced to a slave girl that was demon-possessed. This demon that lived in this slave girl allowed her to tell people's fortunes. So for her masters, this was great because they made a lot of money off of their slave girl telling other people's fortunes. But then Paul shows up on the scene, preaching the name of Jesus. And in fact, he looked at this slave girl, talked to the demon and said, in the name of Jesus, I command you out of her. And in that moment, Jesus healed this poor slave girl that had been possessed. Great news for the girl, bad news for the masters. They lost all their income. So they would have been mad, would have been an understatement. A mob formed because of what Paul and his companion Silas did. They attacked Paul and Silas. They stripped them naked. They beat them and they threw them into prison. But with Paul's eternal perspective, it gave them an opportunity to be around one more person, the jailer. As they're in jail and in stocks, there's one jailer that's responsible to make sure that all the prisoners stay where they're supposed to stay. And in a crazy series of events, you gotta read it on your own. Read the whole chapter of Acts 16. I'm just giving you a snippet here, a glimpse of it. An earthquake happened and it shook the entire foundation of the jail, which caused the doors to fling open and the chains to come off. Sounds like something Jesus would do. And in that moment, the jailer panicked because he's responsible for every single prisoner in the jail. And he was about ready to kill himself because he knew what would happen if it, if it was got back to those in charge that he was responsible, was on his watch when everybody escaped. So he was getting ready to kill himself and then he hears a voice, wait, we're still here. All of us, Paul said he's here, Silas is here, and every single one of the prisoners was still there. See, all the while that Paul and Silas were in prison, they were singing praises and hymns to God. And I want you to see what the jailer said after Paul said, we're still here. Acts chapter 16, verse 30. Then he brought them out, brought Paul and Silas out, and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household, look at this. What's the word? Rejoiced because they all believed in God. They rejoiced because of the grace that they had received. What did we say at the beginning? Joy comes from knowing the grace of God in your own life. Not of it, hypothetically, not knowing it in the life of somebody else. Joy comes from knowing the grace of God in your own life. We see that to be the case for Lydia, for this slave girl, as well as for the jailer. So I would say to you, no matter what, you can still have joy because of God's grace. No matter if you're a successful business person where things are all up and to the right, you still need the grace of God. No matter if you have a history of demons and regrets, you still need the grace of God in your life. No matter if your entire world has been shaken and broken and you feel like a failure, you still need the grace of God in your life. And when you receive that grace, you'll find joy. There's a lot of communities you can be part of. In fact, again, during a new year, we tend to gravitate to those new communities. There's a lot of causes you could give your life to that are good and are helpful and are kind. But not all communities and not all causes are created equal. There's some good ones, then there's some bad ones. There's some good ones and there's some better ones. But I'm telling you that there is a best one the community of Christ, where we belong and we give our lives to Jesus, the cause of Christ, where we open our hands and we say, I am your slave, Jesus. My life is not mine, but it's yours. The question is, will you say yes or not? I had a friend of mine years ago. He told me this phrase, I absolutely have loved it. He said, put your yes on the table. Meaning, as you begin a new season and a new year, would you be willing to give Jesus your yes before anything has happened, before he's asked anything? Would you be willing to just write him a blank check, so to speak, with your life, and you write the word yes? You say, yes. This year, Jesus, my yes is on the table. No matter what you ask, I'm going to say yes. No matter what you want from me, my answer is yes. I'm not going to pick it back off the table because I've given you my yes. Yes, I belong to you. Yes, I'm receiving your grace. Yes, I'm ready to get baptized. Yes, I'm going to be studying God's word on my own this year. Yes, I'm going to serve others more than I serve myself. My answer, Jesus, to you is yes, before you even ask. The song that we're going to sing speaks to that one word, yes, I will. And you should be sitting on a note card, hopefully. If not, um, let me know. We'll have our guest services team walk around. Grab that note card. Because before we sing this song, yes, I will, I want you to make that declaration for you personally. This isn't a guilt trip. If you're not there yet, that's okay. Keep asking questions. Keep showing up and digging in, growing in your knowledge and your understanding. But if you're willing to give Jesus your yes before he ever asks for it, I'm gonna pray, then we're gonna sing this song. Before you begin singing, would you be willing to just write the word yes on your note card, symbolizing 
giving Jesus your yes and laying your yes on the table, never to be picked up. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for, man, the stories that we read about in your word. Thank you so much for the words that we read that give us encouragement, that give us direction, that help us. Specifically, thank you for the joy that we have because of your grace. It's not a joy that we get because of life and situations or things going the way we planned. The joy that we have is in you because of your grace. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to our own hearts and our own lives right where we are in these seats today? Would you move us and nudge us and prompt us and convict us to write yes on a card that seems insignificant, but symbolizes us giving you our lives. Our yes, Lord, is on the table.